Poetry. What is it good for? Is a production of Bar Crawl Radio Podcast. According to poet Darius Dautry, a poem cannot save a life, cannot fend off a dark alley attack, make you less woman or less poor or less black and thus treated equal, but a poem can introduce you to yourself. Poetry, What Is It Good For? is a podcast that uses poetry to consider that which troubles us with two poets who know each other's work. I'm Alan Winson, joined by Rebecca McKean and Chris Brandt, and we explore the immense practicality of poetry. A brief note here as we begin this series of conversations about poetry. We began speaking to poets early on in our Bar Crawl Radio podcast. This episode that got us started on this journey was with poets who performed at the 2019 World Poetry Movements event for A World Without Walls. I want to thank all the poets who are reading tonight and St. Uh, Illuminator's Armenian Apostolic Cathedral for allowing us the use of this hall. A month ago, I received an invitation from the World Poetry Movement to organize a World Without Walls poetry event in New York City. To date, over 400 events have been organized around the world for this month's Global Call for Action. We have about 18 readers tonight. I think everybody, almost everyone is here. I've asked them to each read five to seven minutes, either a poem they have written and or something else that really inspired them, something that they admire around the theme of peace and hope. The voice you just heard was Lola Kondakchan an Armenian-American writer and the director of the Armenian Poetry Project, author of The Accidental Observer, as well as Advice of a Poet. Becky and I recently attended an event for the World Poetry Movement called For a World Without Walls. Eighteen poets read a variety of pieces focusing on war and peace, capitalism and greed, and the need for positive social change. And with us today on Bar Crawl Radio here at Gephardt's, are three of the readers and poets from that event to talk about their inspirations and call for a world without walls. Robert Roth is the co-creator of the And Then Journal and the author of Book of Pieces, a collection of Mr. Roth's writings, fiction, political prose, interview, and poetry. Lisa Witten is from North Carolina originally and has been in New York City for 13 years. She seeks to, quote, break down barriers and augment acceptance and understanding through her writing. Presently, she's working on her gothic memoir. Maybe we'll get into that. Burning Barbies. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, Burning Barbies. Although I liked Barbie. Chris Hirschman Brandt is a worker in the fields of theater and political social activism. Chris is a published poet and writer, a translator, carpenter, and furniture designer. He teaches poetry and peace and justice at Fordham University. Before, before we go any further, I think we had, again, invite you, uh, uh, um, welcome you to Bar Crawl Radio. Yes. And get Hearts on West 72nd Street, across from the mortuary, down the block from Trader Joe's. <laughs> and papayas. And, 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 hot, papayas. and papayas hot dogs. And uh, what are we all drinking here? Chris, you've got a... Um, I've got this uh, Rasputin thing. All right. It's the same thing I'm drinking. North Coast Old Rasputin Nitro Russian Import Stout 
from California. Nope. California. There we go. Okay. <laughs> they have a Russian river. They did have Russians in, in California. Yeah, the Russian river. There oh, you that's go. right. Oh, yeah, they Russian did make river. it down yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. somewhat yeah. there. So. Lisa, hi. What, what, you have a nice orangey thing there. Um, yes, this is a dark hard apple cider. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they had that. <laughs> yeah, delicious. Right. They got everything here. And Robert, you're yeah, having the, the Rasputin. The Rasputin, blah, 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 blah. three, yeah. yeah. Rasputin's beer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, cheers, everybody. You will everybody. not die. Okay. Oh, yeah, thank everybody. you, dear. I'm yeah. having a Tito's and tonic. Tito, oh, sweetheart, okay. what are you having? Tito's and tonic. <laughs> thank you. That's right, thank in you. a tall glass. Thank you all. So, <coughs> swallow, swallow, swallow. Um, we thought we would begin by learning a little about each of you and then talk about the worldwide poetry event held at the St. Illuminators Armenian Apostolic Cathedral. I practiced that. <laughs> it's not so easy to say. <laughs> on 27th Street. Apostolic <laughs> Cathedral on 27th Street, right. And along the way, we're going to hear some of your work and your readings and, and all that good stuff. Robert, you're a writer. I hear you started writing at a young age. Can you talk about that? I just enjoyed doing it and um, would get into trouble in elementary school for <laughs> things that I wrote. And then oh, <laughs> like what? Right, Give I, it, I, no, yeah. You have to tell us now, Robert. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, spill the dirt. I, I wish I remember, but I think I had a f wrote about a fantasy of blowing up the teacher or something like <laughs> oh, that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. You so know, these <laughs> days you'd be taken away. I know. If you check to see if any it's guns not, or anything. It's not even that I disliked her, so. It was but just... I thought a fantasy you, that you didn't like authority, maybe. Maybe. I think that was more it. Yeah. And, and then the same thing would happen in junior high school, but, not, but it wouldn't be um, of that kind. But then I think there I would be starting to write more political, um, focused political uh, pieces. And, so, and you, so this was writing, I mean, you're, we're both of some age. Yeah, yeah. So this I'm, is I'm back 75. in Nixon so, time, uh, um, before that. Well, I guess, let's see, it would be around 56 all right, so we're talking Eisenhower, yeah. Kennedy, and yeah, yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, yeah and, and let's say you had the um, Hungarian uprising, and you had a lot of <laughs> a lot of problems in the Middle East, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so that could be any time. Yeah, the world world hasn't changed. I that guess yeah. just about any time you could yeah. um, get into the and, those kind uh, of politics. And then, uh, which is really interesting, how you could write something and just kind of threaten, you know, threaten different people. You know, even even though you're just. You know, just who saying you, something. Who were you threatening? Because I heard that one of the teachers said, "Well, Roth is not as smart as he thinks he is," uh. and I'm 12 years old or 11 <laughs> years old. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, how smart did you think you I were? I didn't think I was. It didn't even occur to me. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so well, that's a real testament to your it? smartness. <laughs> who was it who said that yeah. pen is uh, more powerful than the? Uh, the sword. The sword? I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> I'll say Shakespeare. Some, somebody in the revolution. That's pretty era, safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So, so do you remember what you were reading when you were a kid, the kinds of things that were interesting to you? I remember reading Asimov. I loved Asimov. Uh, I actually don't remember. I think, I, I think at some point I started reading the New York Post mm -hmm. and uh, reading Murray Kempton, who was a, a columnist and a great writer. And I think he had like an early influence on me. Right. And then maybe someone like James Baldwin... As, oh, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. How yeah. would you describe your writing today? Um, I, I'm really not sure. Um, it's probably better for other people to to describe it, but um, a lot of artists are like that. They, yes. like they you, yeah. know, you read, read what I wrote. I'm not going to tell you, you what it means. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> you're not even being coy. It's just hard to um, like uh, my f my book Health Proxy. Uh, at first, people would say it's a memoir, and I would be bristling. And then other people would say it was in the novel. Yeah. And, 
and I, and I didn't know what it was. It wasn't either, really. Well, what is and, it? And then I thought it was like, I thought it was some kind of extended meditation. Okay. Uh, you know, and um, but that was ha- that's reasonable. Yeah, and there were you know elements of fiction, elements of uh, real life uh, experience. That okay. were, there, and but I thought it was more like an extended meditation, but um, but even that I didn't um, I didn't try to. Um, Define it too too sharply. I mean, I like it very much, but I didn't try to define it. Too define sharply. it. Right. And you you also you published a book a uh, book of pieces. Right. Um, I mean, I, it's it could be a a play on word. Right. Different kinds of piece. Right. But it's P I E C E S. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I know it's a collection. Yeah. Well, that was a that was that was a collection from uh, work from I think 1978 to 2017. And it's a, it's a real mixture of poetry, political essays, fiction, interviews, and I have maybe three or four guest uh, guest friends, my mother too, who appear in the book. And I saw it there. In fact, we're going to be playing your rendition of that poem by your mother. Oh, thank you. I mean, that, that's a very important. Well, um, that that's why we hired you to be on the show. <laughs> well, I I read I I wait. Hi, we hired him. You, you mean the beers? The, the beers. Right? The beers. That's the, beer. the payoff. Right? No, the big bucks. Okay, I really appreciate that because <laughs> big beer. Because that, that yeah, I really felt that that was really a wonderful thing to read that night, and um, and. And and my mother and I got much closer uh, with our magazine because uh, she appeared in uh, every issue of the magazine. Magazine and, and then and then and um, and it was really great. She developed <laughs> she developed a following among the um, you know among the different people who read the magazine and you know they were. Were you say, jealous? I mean. No, I was ecstatic, <laughs> and and they and, and and it was really wonderful to see her in a way other than the chaos in our relationship. You know, like you know, I would know her as this bundle of rage and, and emotion and chaos, and uh, and then she comes to an end, then party, and everybody's gravitating towards her, and she's talking and wow and so it was really it was great i mean it was just really great to see her in a That's way nice and um it's interesting we we have different relationships in our lives with our parents with our parents and our, our children. children and um They're, yeah it's a dichotomy and then what happens <laughs> she developed a following among black women and that was you know it's like totally from where and where you know and, and it was great and and because she talked a lot about her experiences in Hungary and the oppression she felt as a Jew and just the celebrations of things. And, um, and, and a lot of people really resonated with that and, and, and were very excited by it. So that, that, that was very gratifying. And, um, and, um, and, then, <laughs> and, and then, so she, so then she decided, well, better, she better return, you know, do this in kindness. So she took it. kindness to you. No, no, not, not, I mean, she, she said, if they're following me, I better follow them. So oh, she took okay. out a, a oh. subscription to Ebony. <laughs> 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 and it didn't quite do it, you know. <laughs> that was her gesture. No, I mean, she thought this, you know, because she said, look, you, it's not, it was really, she said, not just oppression, you have to know the, uh, the, the details of everyday life, or you don't understand other people's lives. Right, right. And so that was one, one way she wanted to see, and then she said, well, this is not working, and, uh, right. yeah. and, and, then, and then inside the magazine, she really responded very strongly to, to a lot of people's work, but particularly the work of, of, of black, black women in the, and black men, actually, and some Puerto Rican women in, in, in the magazine itself. 
and it was really wonderful to hear her read those pieces in, in heavy Hungarian accent. And it was just, and she just really gave it uh, incredible uh, added other dimension to it. Uh, but before, before, I, before I introduce uh, the poem, everyone, Alina Larson just came in. Hi, Alina. Hi. Hey. Just entered She's the our parts. Yeah. What are you drinking, Alina? Something ah. Hoboken. That's I what like I got. It. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, where did you grow up? Where uh, Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. Okay. All right. Uh, so we are going to um, uh, hear a piece, that piece that your mother wrote that you read, Two Faces of a Nazi Sympathizer, in, in your uh, book, Book of Pieces. It's, it's there, which I assume we can find that book on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by Kuto Laszlo Roth. Uh, Kato. 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 Yeah. Kato Laszlo Roth. Uh, and um, Robert read this piece at the event for A World Without Walls. In 1948, when for several weeks I visited my parents in Budapest, Hungary, I had one of the most interesting encounters and experiences of my life. When I met again my former German and art history teacher, Dr. Illinois Honvaye, while I had a special aptitude for art history, the German language was very hard for me, and I never mastered it. The other Jewish girls in my class spoke German fluently. I was frightened of Dr. Hanvai during my school years. Since I was not very good in the German language, she always drilled me in grammar, while the other Jewish girls had the great privilege to be called upon to recite in German the great accomplishments of Hitler like building good roads, creating jobs for everyone, stopping the inflation, and others I can't recall. None of Hitler's brutality to non-Aryans was ever mentioned. The Jewish girls showed no emotion while reciting, and I was fortunate that I was spared the experience. Actually, all of us Jewish girls were humiliated. I was tortured and put down by the constant drilling of grammar and being an example of stupidity. And others were forced to recite the great accomplishments of our enemy in Germany. In 1948 in Budapest, after not seeing her for 13 years, I happened to meet Dr. Hanvayi by chance in the Hotel Gellert's indoor pool. I recognized her immediately and identified myself. I was still a little scared of her. She remembered the class and me and started to tell me how we students were her whole life, how she loved teaching and how she lost her job. I suspect because of her Nazi sympathy, sympathies, was ill, had a mastectomy, and that she was totally devastated and unhappy. The fearful figure I remembered before the war became a pitiable figure as we talked on. She saw in me the elegant young woman who came back from America for a visit, not the frightened Jewish girl of the past. As mentioned before, during our talk, the old frightening image of Dr. Hanvayi melted away, and she became a sad human being who was happy to talk to me, and even in a sort of way had admiration for me and was glad to remember old times. As far as I was concerned, I felt no victory, only sympathy for her. 
her cruelties during the German classes were not as important anymore, and I was sad seeing her so destroyed. Dr. Hanvai taught me between 1931-35, and in 1935 I matriculated in German literature, among other subjects. In hindsight, I believe, perhaps, her human side was revealed in the art history classes, where she inspired all of us. And after many years in America, I finally became an art historian. Dr. Hanvai's cruelty and moments of humanity were living proof of some of the many facets of a human being. In this case, two of the many faces of a Nazi sympathizer. How did your mother influence your writing? Um, um, I don't think really, no. Um, except whatever she passed on to me in terms of um, passion, anxiety, insight, pain, <laughs> whatever, you know, I mean, I, just whatever she passed on to me as a person from one person to another or as a parent to a, to a kid. Had she been a writer from a young age herself? Uh, yeah, but I really didn't know it that much. When the magazine came out, she started, um, she started writing for the magazine. So that, and, and, and one time, um, she went back to college, to Queens College, where I was a student, and I was you know, younger, obviously. And um, there was a big demonstration at the World's Fair, and uh, was it 64, I think? And, I was uh, at that World's Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at that World's Fair. When I was a kid <laughs> with my parents, yeah. In the meantime, uh, my mother had worked in the 1939 World Fair, here. Oh my goodness! And um, it was so. I wrote a piece about the demonstration, and she wrote a piece about working in the 1939 World Fair, and the two pieces appeared, you know, on the same page. What, what pavilion did she work on? The Hungarian pavilion. Oh, oh of course. Of course. And <laughs> and so her piece was pretty terrific, and, and and my piece was 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 okay, and and the two pieces together were kind of uh, dynamite. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, what I what uh, when, when you read this at a uh, for a World Without Walls event, I was taken with the enormous simplicity of it, the straightforwardness, the um, um, I'm, I'm thinking of a word. It's like it, it, there was no fat on it, right? Um, and you read it so simply, and so can I say respectfully um, that uh, I just that's why I. I, I we invited you on because it was it was this truly authentic piece, you know. Um, when you read it, what what kinds of feelings come over you, or do they? Well, they do. I mean, it's you know, it's very moving. I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I choke up when I think about it. When I, you know, it was like uh, it was a profound experience for her, and um, and just you know the, the struggles as a young girl there, and the uh, the anti-Semitism, and the uh, and then. Just her, uh, also just that this teacher ignited the, her imagination as a, uh, art, uh, you know, in art. I mean, just literally excited her, and these two things were happening simultaneously, which I think kind of goes to the, uh, to the evening. You know, yeah, let's, let's talk about that, because I, want, I wanted to get that. Maybe we can talk, turn to Lisa and Chris, because you, you are now the audience of this poem. <laughs> what does this poem have to do with uh, For a World Without Walls? For, so for me, I felt like it's... Oh, this is Lisa Witten. Oh, yes. Um, it's about seeing more than just one thing of a person, mm -hmm. right? That we are dynamic. We are not... Um, I think people are very quick to put a label on somebody. 
And I think it's important to see that there are layers and that people bring out different layers in ourselves as well. So for me, that's what really resonated. We can get stuck on the idea she's a Nazi sympathizer and that's all she and that's is. And that's it. That's it. She's done. But we're all very complex. We're all very deep. Um, <laughs> even the people we don't like and, you know, that maybe we ought to kind of look, get beyond the wall we have of our attitudes about them. Yeah. 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 So that's what you got from it. I mm -hmm. think that's great. What about you, Chris? Well, <coughs> for me, <coughs> one of the big surprises of it is that Robert's ancestors are Hungarian, because so are mine. Oh. Ah, yeah, <laughs> my, that's my, right. You look like you could be brothers. <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> yes. Um, my grandparents on my father's side were Hungarian Jews, and, my fa and they moved to Vienna, and my father grew up in Vienna, and hated being Jewish because he was bullied on the streets and, yeah. and so forth. I grew up in the South and hated being Jewish. Yeah. Well, where? Oh. Yeah, in the in south, Miami. In Miami. Miami. Yeah. Yeah. In Miami. Yeah. <laughs> they drew a swastika on his sidewalk. Oh in front God. of his yeah. house. One of our neighbors. In that, what was that? In the sixties or? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. in the, it was in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But the the question of a world without walls. Both sides of my families were were refugees. My mother's family were. Um, refugees, economic refugees in the early 20th century, around 1906. And my father's family barely made it out in 1939. Um, but, and, and six of them got out, and I have no idea what happened to the rest of them, um, because there obviously there were more, not, not immediate family. But the, the question of walls, I mean, that's what leads to things like fascism and and, right. and we're not talking about the literal uh, wall. We're talking about the we're not? separations. No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we're, he's not no. going to get his wall? Oh. <laughs> I think it can be literal, too. I let him I have think his wall. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> no, no, no. Not, you know, my, my brother, um, my, part of my family lives in Mexico. And my brother and his wife, who's Mexican, they claim that wall is not to keep Mexicans out of the United States. <laughs> it's to keep Yuzians in. In the United States, yeah. I want to get out. Let me <laughs> yeah, out. let me out of here. <laughs> I don't like you. Could anymore. be, could be. So, Lisa, you're a teacher? Yes. So am I. Oh. What do you teach? Where do you, uh, not, you don't say where, but what do you teach? I teach English and health. Ah, oh, my goodness. You teach writing? Mm -hmm. That is the hardest thing to teach, I think. I teach elementary school, so I teach oh. all, the, all the curriculums, but probably at a more uh, watered-down version. So, Lisa, we really enjoyed the reading that you did while we were uh, uh, listening of the um, Imagine. Thank you. That was brilliant. So what brought you to poetry? Um, so for me, I don't consider myself a poet, but I love writing. And when um, I feel like any time that I feel emotionally not in a good place or I feel like our world is in a good place then I turn to poetry but that's not my typical go-to and I would say the last few years it's been my go-to quite a bit just because of the nature of our society right now so what do you get from it from you you mean you, it's your go-to to write it or mm -hmm. to read it to write it and to, to read it and to read it yes so what do you get from it for, for me um, when I write it it's like an emotional release it's like I get all of or at least some of the pain that I, I'm feeling inside and some of the tension and stress about what could possibly happen or what is happening in the world. And um, when I read it, it makes me realize that this isn't something that's just happened right now 
and that societies throughout time have suffered many kinds of pain and that the pain that we're having right now isn't the same as what other societies and cultures have experienced, but that they have persevered. So I guess in that way it helps me yeah. to see that. I, I, I think we should uh, hear the poem that she read at the oh, okay. All uh, right. World yeah, Without yeah, yeah. Walls, uh, because uh, this is a pretty wild thing that, that you did. And I, again, you were cast because of oh, this. Oh, <laughs> I see. Okay, I get it now. What you wanted me to say was, yeah. and we thought we'd like to hear, we want to share with our listening audience. There you go. The poem, Imagine. Perfect. The second one, um, I'm sure you're very familiar with. I always go back to this song. Um, it's from my childhood. Um, but it brings me peace when I'm feeling very down. And lately, the last two years, that's been quite a bit. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us and above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for. Imagine all the people living in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine, no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that was great. Um, am, am I the only one that hears Betty Boop? <laughs> would never occur to me. <laughs> well, you know I'm about the Betty Boop character? Oh, I know the Betty Boop character. <laughs> but the <laughs> It sounded like she was a child, so Betty yeah. Boop was kind of childish sounding, yeah. childlike. Yeah. But, but child, but important. I mean, child, but an adult Something at the same to say. time. Yes. Yeah. So what made you decide to read it that way? I think that's a wonderful interpretation. So I feel like when you think of who has the most hope in our society and who has the belief that we can change... I think it's children, and I, I teach ninth grade, and I see the difference between ninth graders and 12th graders even, and ninth graders still have that, that innocence and that belief that, you know, we can do something about this, and I think I felt like I needed to do it in a young voice because I feel like sometimes if an older voice would have said that, then it's like, okay, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you're an adult, you've seen some stuff, so you know that we don't, the world's not going to change. So I felt like it had to be a kid. Um, and I changed my modulation for certain lines. So, like, you, you might think I'm a dreamer. So it's sort of being, like, calling people out yeah. and then recognizing the same, like, but I'm not the only one. Like, the importance of finding those people who do see the world the way that you do and like grabbing onto them because you need to especially when times are kind of like tough. I think the Beatles did a good job but <laughs> this was really 
bringing out things in that that I don't think they did in, in, in their music. And I, I certainly appreciate it. Do you, do you do this kind of performing for your students? Yes. You put on characters and voices. They're yes. lucky group of students. <laughs> yeah. And is that to try to bring them into the, to, to the prose, to the poetry, to whatever you're... Yes, absolutely. I think one of um, the, my favorite memories, um, I saw someone who had graduated maybe four years before on the train. Um, but he had been in my ninth grade class. And he was like, Miss, do you know that when I read, I hear your voice in my head? So and that's like, a good thing. That's a good thing. He's yeah. like, because I pretended to you, how would Miss Witten read this? And so that's... Wow. Well, that's, that's helping him understand it. Yes, wow. helping to understand and also bringing it to life, which yeah. is what literature, poetry, etc. Poetry is, all about. Is, is a vocal thing. Yes. Yeah. You've inspired me. I'm going to really start doing that more with my students. I mean, I read with expression because you have to teach them that it's important to read with expression because mm-hmm. it helps the meaning. But... I've never thought of it as a way to really bring them in as a, you know, like a, what a, as a performer would. That's great. Yes. After the reading, um, someone came up to me, a woman said, when you read, when you read this, it brought the poem to life. Yes. And the performer is all about like a poem either lives or dies by the speaker, the person who's putting those words out there. So and true. You don't put it, you don't say it with emotion. You don't bring yourself into it. Then your audience isn't going to get anything out of it. I have right. to say that's why we chose you three. One of the reasons was is that how well you read. Um, it makes a big difference to the listener. And I want to do a shout-out to Michael Shine, who we also were going to bring in. He had a, an amazing yes. approach to his, to his piece. <laughs> uh, maybe at the end of this I'll play his uh, so that listeners can stay and listen to Michael Shine's, Michael Shine's piece. I want to read something from your bi- a bio, uh, Lisa. Um, that you help your students to be, quote, compassionate and reject ignorance and hate. And I think I, I, I see you doing that. Um, so um, can, can you, how does poetry help us move away from hate towards love? Is that the opposite of hate? Yes, or understanding. Or just, sometimes, yeah. But it's dissipated, I think, through knowledge. So I think um, I love the phrase love trumps hate, but really, I think it's knowledge and understanding of our diverse world. And I think poetry is a really beautiful way to do that because in a short piece, you can learn so much about someone who's very different from you and see that even though they're different, they're actually very much the same. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm going to put you in touch with someone that, that does a podcast about, about um, teaching. Oh, um, What's Morgane's uh, podcast called? Unkind. Uh, no, Kindness. Kindness. Unkind. It's called Kindness. Um, yeah. You, you, you would be an interesting discussion with her. Unfortunately, she's up on the western side of Canada. <laughs> I don't know if you want to take that, that trip. Maybe they could do a phone um, discussion. So this is Bar Crawl Radio, recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on the Upper West Side on 72nd Street. It's near the mor- across the street from the mortuary. <laughs> down the street from, from Trader, Trader Joe's and, and papaya. Close to papaya. Yeah, yeah. we got to work on that. I know. Well, we had it a while ago. We lost it. You yeah, know, we haven't it done comes it in a while. and goes. But yeah. I just want to put a shout out to Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. Yeah, Matt, Matt's here, the owner's I here. I know. I said hello to yeah. him, and he, the, he has a great selection of beer. They change it out. Uh, tons. I mean, they, they they have this huge chalkboard on the wall where they write in their beers of the day. And it's always changing. And it's, yeah, and is is bottled really and draft, and it's good. Really into that good beer culture. Beers. Yeah. <laughs> so we are talking with three poets at the recent for a world without walls event held as part of the world poetry movement. And finally, dun, we dun, dun, dun. get to Chris H. Brandt. Um, Hi, Alan. Uh, hard, hard to know to start where to start with you, sir. 
Um, this will be the second time you've been on Barcrow Radio and the third time you've been on one of my podcasts. Right. Um, we, did a, we did a recording at the Iron, uh, Iron Pony Bar in the nation's capital after a week of protesting by Witness Against Torture, who wow. you belong to. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are, you, you guys are protesting the U.S. prison in Guantanamo. In fact, I'm going to Washington uh, next week to testify at one of the arrests of the Supreme Court of your group, one of the members of your of your group. So we've crossed paths several times and hopefully we'll continue to do that. Chris is also a theater person. Uh, he's working for the Medicine Show Theater. And uh, for today, we're going to stick not to theater, but to peace activism and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the event. But maybe it all goes together. <laughs> it all goes together. It does. It right, does. right. So I was going to ask you uh, what got you into the protest business, but I'm curious, what was your first protest and how old were you? Oh, uh, Vietnam War. Yeah. I was yeah, I was draft age. I was you know high up. No, okay, but still that's understandable as someone who you know could be going off to this battle that you don't believe in, this war that you don't believe in. No way I was going to that. Right. Right. For you to protest that made perfect sense, but yet you continued. Well, so what was it after that? Civil rights. Um in particular uh I read uh, Jimmy Baldwin, and James Baldwin seems to be a theme here. He he changed my life. He's a he's a great 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 writer, and uh, that was the beginning of my understanding of racism in this country. Um, it's, it's a lot more sense, of course. Uh, but then after the after we had finally managed to end the American War in Vietnam, and I think we did it on the streets in this country, um, there was so much more. There was the big question, what do we do now? We, we want so much more than this. And then for a considerable amount of time, 20 years or so, it was, it was one thing after another. It was the anti-nuke movement. It was the... Uh, women's rights. Women's rights. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the prison movement and so forth. And it took uh, 20 years for me to begin to understand that all these things are connected. That there is, that doing one thing at a time is fine, but what we really want is a revolution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not a, and, and one of the things that influenced me most was going to Nicaragua during the 1980s, uh, which I did kind of by accident. Um, this and during the San, Sandinista during the Sandinista revolution yeah. and I went there thinking that the revolution was the barricades and jumping over the barricades and taking the bo- storming the Bastille and things like that yeah carrying a flag of freedom yeah and the Nicaraguans were very nice and very gentle in informing me that no that was not the revolution that was the insurrection and the revolution was what came afterwards and that's a lot harder yeah yeah <laughs> Changing people's minds, their imagination, opening their their minds to other possibilities. Yeah. I see Witness Against Torture tries to do that. We do. Voices for Creative uh, Nonviolence, mm-hmm. Brian right. uh, Terrell's uh, group. All of these groups are trying to change imaginations. And Code Pink. Code and Pink House. Yeah. Or Code yeah. Pink, yeah. And we go on and on. And we've, uh, uh, Bark already, we've done a series of programs on Witness Against Torture. And we've been talking with you people, you peace activists. Um, who are very strange and wonderful. Strange, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not like the rest of humanity. 
you put your lives on the lines, getting well, arrested and. Well, yeah, so far it hasn't been our lives on the line, but it could be. You know, your time, it, it, time to me, time is lives. Right. Yeah. Being yeah. put in, I mean, a, a lot of your fellow protesters have been arrested before and served time in federal prisons. That's yeah. that's your life. That's your life. That's your that's life. Yeah. <coughs> Stopped. Yeah, but we haven't been shot yet. Yeah. That you could, say yet? That's uh, that could that's come. hopeful. <laughs> Listen, this is a, a program about poetry. Let's listen That's to a little a, bit of your poetry. Okay. Um, you read um, for, and this is a piece you read for a World Without Walls event, and this poem is called House, and we'll talk about it after we hear it. Let the house I build stand apart from other houses. Let it begin and end with the least way to take most benefit from sun and rain and most account of wind and weather. Let it give us let it, let it give as much to the cycles of life as it takes from the earth. I'd have it warm when it's cold outside and cool when it's hot, something to look at out every window of which there must be not too many, but of ample dimensions. A tree, many trees, at least one open vista and a veranda in that direction. No decoration. Let the function define its form, so let its function be solitude and openness. Inside, let the furnishings be made simply and well by carpenters who make no distinction between what they build for themselves and what they build for others. And let there be no more than necessary, a sturdy table, four chairs, a solid bed, and two large bookcases. Let the kitchen be adequate for two to cook for four, and let it and it and the bath and all the floors tiled for easy cleaning. This house will be home to love and you and me, ever open to children and poets and to anyone who adds to life. Come, my love, let us build this house. I don't get why I am so taken with that. I mean, when I heard it at, at the uh, event, and I'm hearing it now, I feel the tears coming up behind my eyes. I do too when I read it. <laughs> how, did you, how did you come up with that? It's, again, it's so simple. I wanted to... It's so right. It's so pure. I had a relationship with a woman that, was, that lasted for over four decades, mm. and mm. Uh, I wanted us to have a house together in the, in the mountains and in the countryside. And so it's a love poem. It's a love poem, and it's a, it's a peace poem, because that's, that's peace, openness and, and uh, solitude. Um, and we never did build that house. She died um, about three and a half years ago. Mm. And... Uh, uh, I don't think that house will ever get built, but it got built in that poem. It got it, built in your imagination. It got yeah. built in yeah. my head. I yeah. mean, I can and see it. And in our it. imagination. I can feel it. That's right. And, and any, uh, uh, Lisa, Robert? Um. It's nice to hear both of you again from that spectacular night that Lola had created. And, and I could hear it again, and I could hear it in a new way. And it's a very profound poem. Yeah. In both your poems. Yeah. And both your readings of them. And Lisa's uh, poem ended the night. Yeah. 
was a great. It was, it was an incredible great. ending for the for this whole experience. And your poem created the house. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's almost like the house. You don't need the house because it's there. <laughs> well, it's I'd there. love to have the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we have five workers here. Yeah, six. right. We can build it for all of us. Yeah. How, how, how much, make it how, a communal How house. much of your life as a carpenter, because you were a carpenter, I, uh, fed into the reality, the feeling of this Well, Because you knew you could build it. I knew I could build it if, if I had to or if I needed to or if I could. Um, I think that's important. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, carpentry has a lot to do with... Uh, it's it's part of the same thing as poetry. Jesus was it's a carpenter, right? Jesus was a carpenter, yeah. yeah. So were uh, that, that singing group in the, the 60s. Carpenters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were carpenters, too. They were really carpenters. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about this activity called poetry and how it links to the world poetry movement. So what is WPM? The world poetry movement, what is it? And Robert, I think you know more about it than anyone. I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, that's, what I, that's what I was told. <laughs> what, was it, was Have it? you been with them for a while? No. Have you been, I, no? I, 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 it was really nice to be invited. <laughs> but I guess that's what it is. You know, you include whoever is near you, and it seemed like it's a worldwide movement so yeah. i guess we're there and yeah we needed lola to kind of tell us yeah. about yeah well yeah it's, it's like lola said there were over 400 readings around the yeah, world so I all happening at the similar time yeah, 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 happening so in the same time frame right. okay everybody a quick uh, interruption here after the recording i called lola conduction to find out about the world poetry movement because none of us knew what was going on so Lola is on the line. Thank you very much for taking the time. So uh, can you tell Thank us you. what is the world poetry movement? So just a little intro before that. I had been to uh, the International Poetry Festival in 2010 in Medellin, Colombia. And a year later, this organization was formed during a gathering of directors from 37 international poetry festivals, which is a regular thing that they do to gather and discuss topics and goals and uh, help each other out with new events, ideas, and sharing of authors. So they they organized this World Poetry Movement, and their uh, common discussion points connected around poetry and peace, how it, it is used to lift the human spirit, Topics such as reconciliation, what to do with the topic of nature and its degradation, how to improve this, the unity and cultural uh, connections with various diverse peoples, cultures, material poverty, poetic justice, and possibly taking actions to take in favor of the globalization of poetry. So one of the goals is moving forward, mutual cooperation, and energizing the individual and the collective voices of poetry in our time. Now, in the past uh, almost eight years, uh, World Poetry Movement has organized several global actions. This year, the global action was a world without walls. Membership is, uh, by the way, in 130 countries, according to its website, most recently, and over 400 cities and um, events were organized for the month of February when we, we got the call of action for the uh, a world without walls. So it was very exciting. And as I told the public uh, at our reading, on February 1st, 
we found out that there was a gathering in Yemen. I was mm. extremely touched by this because 24, 25 years ago, I visited Yemen and I felt a great connection. That's what travel does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And I was very, very happy to hear that in areas uh, such as the war zone in Yemen, they were able to gather together and hold an event and read poetry. I was extremely gratified. It's the third time I organized a reading like this. I'm very, very happy that I could do this Thank in you. a very short time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lola Kondakchian, for telling Thank us about you, the world poetry movement. Um, we will stay in touch. We will. Thank you so much. We were thinking that we'd like to hear some other poetry. Did you all bring something? Yes, we did. Okay. Who would like to start? A little introduction, and let's 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 hear what you brought. Okay, Lisa. <laughs> You're all being too kind. Oh, okay. So, um, as I said, I typically write poetry when I'm in some sort of emotional turmoil, and. Um, so, yes, I'll let the poem speak for itself. Okay. If you're ending it, do it now. Slicing skin with a thousand blades. Do it over the phone in broken words that everyone has used. A monologue we could all recite. Do it in a text. You don't have to see my face when you try to break me. You shouldn't get to see my tears. They're not really about you anyway. I will weep over the fact that I never felt worthy. I doomed us before our first talk, choking any possibility of me becoming we. You're just one more, a lovely addition who added kindness and the chance of family into the mix. But in the end, I will be I. And you will crawl back into your perfect little world of extravagance, where judgment is served with morning tea because coffee is too provincial. Don't make me walk the wet sidewalk to the place of your choosing where the trees are gorgeous and beg to be climbed, where the grass nestles ladybugs dreaming of better days, where benches hold promises better than you do. End it with the cruel heart you told me you had. Don't just say it. Prove it. Oh, nice. That's it. Wow. Oh, I like nice. that. Yeah. That's an anthem. <laughs> is, that, is that like, don't talk of love going through yeah, time? Yeah. It's like, well, no, it's not about I, show me. It's about it's go. Not, it's about go, go, it's done. Don't talk to me anymore. Yeah. You want to leave? Yeah. Get out. I love, I, love, I love the bench that's more comfortable or more worthy of... Uh, Hold its promises. Promises more yeah. than you. No, yeah. it's, it's more about like, what's that song? Get out the door, Joe. <laughs> Get, don't, don't give me no black jack. jack. <laughs> and don't you come back no yeah. more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. That's what it is. Does this have anything to do with walls? Um, I guess in the sense that someone tried to build a wall around me and I wasn't <laughs> having it. There you go. <laughs> That's interesting. It's like the walls that prevent us from becoming who we could be. Who we, who we can be. And that's a wall, too. Parents do it to children. Mm-hmm. And, and we do it to our partners. Partners do it to partners. I mean, we, yeah. we learned it early we're on. We're working on it. <laughs> and we're, and we're still we're working on it. We're tearing down the walls. Good. Right, right. Uh, Robert, okay, you sure. have a poem, yeah. Well, I, I think rather than a peace poem, this is a peace of mind poem. Okay. And I guess it's trying not to bump into walls. Okay. Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? On the tip of my nose? No. Under that pile? No. In my pocket? My pocket? No. In the refrigerator? Yes. No. 
somewhere where. Oh, OMG. So familiar. I, we're of that place where I am a teacher and I am always asking the kid, where are my, where are my glasses? And they know. That's what's great about it. They know. But it's so embarrassing, too. I love that. We, we, it's, like, it's like, where are the effing are my glasses? I, Maybe I, they're in the freezer. It's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> There's no way they're in the freezer. And wait, wait, wait. But you go and look. But wait, you're talking about a certain kind of glasses. I think. I think just eyeglasses. Just, <laughs> just eyeglasses? Oh, yeah. okay. See, I, subject interpretation. Okay. There My interpretation <laughs> is it's reading glasses. Because oh, reading glasses. Because you can see... No, it's reading glasses. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Always okay. look. So, so the solution that I have is I buy bunches of them. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got yeah. like two dozen reading glasses around the house. I need about three more right So now. eventually, it's, I'm going to trip over it. Yeah, you just have to put them in every little place where you might need. <laughs> there, there you go, and, and you uh, can put it anywhere. But Lisa, you're not there yet. <laughs> not quite. Well, okay, right. wait. It's well, fun. Gotta, no. It's fun, yeah. It's, it's so much it's, fun. It's fun. Chris, you got a poem for us. I do. And we're going to close Robert. out with Chris's poem. I love that. Okay, this poem. My brother's a blues musician. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he used to play blues in Chicago wow. before he moved to Mexico. What does he play? Uh, mouth harp. Oh, my goodness. We're in, we're in, we're in Mexico. He lives in a little town up in the mountains south of Mexico City called Tepoztlan. Oh. One of the most marvelous places I've ever been in my life. You go yeah. there often? Do you I, visit? Not often enough. Yeah. Um, but he lived in Chicago for a long time and played blues on the south side at places like Queen Bees and Checkerboard. Played with Muddy Waters Jr. and wow. No way. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. And yeah. his name is? His name is Peter Brandt. I mean, he's... Peter Brandt. Yeah. Now, now in Mexico, he's called Don Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Don Peter. <laughs> is he older or younger? He's younger. Yeah. Four years younger. All right. But anyway, this poem is dedicated to him. And it's called These Blues. Not the blue blues, the blind drunk looking for oblivion blue grief blues. Not the lead-footed, no place to go, homeless blues. And not the angry blues either, but the musician's blues, blood so full of oxygen it glows blue, like the ghost light between two halves of uranium-238 sphere at critical mass just as the chain reaction begins, or the rush at an unexpected visit from the lover you've been longing for, your hands electrical receptacles for ecstasy, your mouth the birthbed of joy. Those blues. Yeah. Those blues. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> your, 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 your brother's got to do some music for that. Uh, I wish he would. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it, has, it has a blues rhythm to it. It's got, yeah. Blues, well, blues, yeah, blues. Intentionally That's so. That's the idea, yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> right. Any reactions, Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it has its own musicality. This has been wonderful. Yes. We have yes. to do more poetry shows. I yes, love this. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, now I want to do a poetry <laughs> podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this has really been wonderful. This thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think we're going to end. I mean, there's nothing else we can do. That, that was great. That was great. The three wonderful poems. 
Yes. Three wonderful poems. And I could see walls in each one of them. Maybe not the blues one. Well, the blues one is kind of knocking down walls. Yeah. It's destroying walls. There you go. The blues it's, do destroy walls. It's yes. the uranium yes. that destroys <laughs> right. the walls. <laughs> right. So I, I think it's part of the theme of, of this evening. Um, a thought. This is my poetry here. Poetry can change us if only we take the time to really listen. Fully be with the moment and the reader and her words. I don't know if you notice, I close my eyes when I listen in order to get really with the words and the voice. But that is an enormously difficult activity in a world of distractions, of easy and many entertainments, of quick and constant news shocks. What if our politicians were poets <laughs> and spoke deeply and fully about what they really thought and felt? And what if we actually all listened full-throated, ready to accept the other, because we really want to see the other, would there be a need for walls? No, and there's a paradigm for that. Many Latin American countries appoint their poets as their diplomats. There you go. Like hmm. Pablo Neruda. There you go. And Poland had a poet once. And president. Poland had a And he became the head of the country. Many in uh, Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. The Czech Republic. Yeah, that's what yeah. Václav Havel. Right. Many countries do that. We don't because we think poetry is, well, just a distraction. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else is, po yeah. Poetry. Poetry is where And sermons, maybe. But poetry. Yeah. That's, that is the focus. Yep. Thank you. Thank you all. We want to thank Robert Roth, Lisa Witten, and Chris Brandt for joining us today on BCR and for sharing your work with us. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You're tuned to the Poetry What Is It Good For podcast. Let us know if you want to receive the Poetry What Is It Good For newsletter with updates on our postings. You can write us at poetrygoodfor, that's one word, poetrygoodfor at gmail.com. And consider donating to our efforts at our website, poetrygoodfor.com. And a great big thank you to Tim Gopperud for giving us permission to use his composition, Fantasia on Three French Carols, performed by Carrie Vecchioni on oboe and Ralph Erdahl on double bass, otherwise known as Oboe Bass. <laughs> <laughs>